100 years after some women won the vote, People's History Museum, the home of ideas worth fighting for, explores how far we have come in the fight for representation and how far we have to go. I'm Helen Antrobus, and join me as episode by episode, I look at some of the incredible objects and stories in Represents, Voices 100 Years On. In 1918, all men and some women were given the vote, but it wasn't until 1928 when Parliament passed the Representation of the People Equal Franchise Act that all men and women aged 21 and over were able to vote. Millicent Garrett Fawcett, who we talked about in the last episode, saw the act passed in Parliament and she wrote in her diary, It is almost exactly 61 years since I heard John Stuart Mill introduce his suffrage amendment to the Reform Bill on the 20th of May 1867. So I have had extraordinary good luck in having seen the struggle from the beginning. In between that time, however, women were finally allowed to be voted into the House of Parliament as MPs. But the statistics on the wall in Represent tell a very different story of representation today. Parliament is still not a representative space, and despite winning the vote, how far have we really come? In this episode, I'm going to look at Parliament today and what's really changed since the Representation of the People Act was passed 100 years ago. Now, in 1918, the first woman was voted into Parliament, although she didn't actually take her seat. Her name was Constance Markiewicz. Now, Constance Markiewicz was elected for Sinn Féin uh, in Ireland. She was the Dublin St. Patrick's Ward. She didn't take her seat because she was a strong supporter of Irish nationalism and she was actually arrested during the Easter Rising of 1916 and she conducted a lot of her campaign from Holloway Jail in London. Sinn Féin MPs famously didn't take their seats in support of Home Rule in Ireland, so we don't actually see Constance take her place in Parliament. The next woman to take her seat, so the first official female MP, is a woman called Nancy Astor. Nancy is a Conservative Member of Parliament. She is from a very, very aristocratic background and she really advocates the role of women in Parliament in a slightly unconventional way. Looking at Parliament archives and the collections they have on Nancy, it's absolutely fantastic to see the story they tell of her. And this year, in 2018, they actually had one of her outfits on display that she had specially made for when she became a Member of Parliament. And looking at this outfit when it was on display in the House Houses of Parliament, it's a suit that's designed to look like a very masculinised suit. So rather than taking her role, embracing her femininity and embracing the fact that she's a woman in Parliament, Nancy really goes against that. She actually wants to fit more in with the men uh, who have been elected into the House. Nancy Astor didn't embrace her femininity or the fact that she was a woman in the House. In fact, she didn't even really acknowledge it. She wanted to be seen as more of one of the men and she really embraced that masculine side of her by wearing outfits such as this to fit in with what was going on in Parliament. However, there were women who were fighting to stand out and who were fighting for women in the House of Parliament. One of these women was a woman called Ellen Wilkinson. Ellen Wilkinson was a very unusual candidate. She became the Labour MP for Middlesbrough in 1924 and she was young, unmarried, with strong communist ideals and a very strong Manchester accent. Although her private archive was burnt in 1945, the newspaper cuttings that she collected uh, about herself have survived, which is fantastic as it gives us such an interesting insight into the way that the media viewed female MPs at the time. 
Ellen Wilkinson was about four foot eleven. She had blazing red hair and views to match. She didn't hold her tongue in Parliament and she made quite a show. She always wore bright dresses, probably of green and purple. They were some of her favourite colours. And she was so small that she actually had to stand on her despatch box to sit down in the house. In her maiden speech, she talks about the women who don't have the vote. She doesn't address the fact that it's fantastic that women are MPs. She doesn't suddenly start talking about women as if they'd won In fact, she talks about what women had lost and they were industrial women, they were young women. They were women who did miss the mark entirely in the representation of the People Act, who either missed the age qualification, the property qualification, or essentially too poor to be able to vote. And as she says in her maiden speech, these were the women who needed the vote the most and it was these women who didn't have it. And during her time in Parliament, she says she didn't want to be treated as a pet, mainly to be referred to on women's issues, but as a woman, she must speak. And she remained throughout her time in Parliament, right up until 1947, a strong advocate for feminism and for women's rights. Now, in Represent, we can see one of Ellen's general election leaflets. Now, this one is actually from 1945. But I want to talk a bit about those newspaper articles that we have in our archives here at the People's History Museum. This was in 1924, and some of the views on women are slightly sketchy, but I suppose they're what you would expect from something in the 20s. When Ellen Wilkinson goes into Parliament, the newspapers focus on how her hair looks, on what she dresses like. They talk about the style of her clothes, they talk about the style of her jewellery. As she leaves Parliament, they always mention what kind of hat she is wearing. There's even a rumour that Nancy Astor took Ellen to one side and told her that she needed to wear slightly more conservative clothing, that the colours of her dress might prove a distraction. And the newspapers clearly thought along the same lines. In fact, there's a very famous quote in a newspaper that says of Ellen, Ellen Wilkinson is a short thing, although her hair is the attractive shade of red, not the unattractive shade. As you can imagine, most of the male MPs in Parliament were not subjected to the same kind of conversations. Now, next to the general election leaflet of Ellen, who is bearing extremely short hair because she shingled her hair in the 1920s, very soon after she was elected. So she went from having waist length hair to cutting it um, into a very modern, very independent, very fashionable style. What's interesting is this hairstyle of Ellen's made front page news when she did it. And can you imagine the hairstyle of a female MP making the headlines today? You don't actually have to imagine it because it has happened one or two times in the past couple of years. Sitting next to this amazing general election leaflet of Ellen Wilkinson is a small photograph of a woman called Diane Abbott. Now, most of you will know Diane Abbott. She's actually the Member of Parliament for Hackney North and Stoke Newington. She's been a Member of Parliament since 1987 and she was the first black woman to be elected into Parliament. As part of the exhibition we have the most fantastic portrait of Diane that was painted in 2004 after it was commissioned by Parliament to commemorate this fantastic new moment, this moment of diversity and representation in Parliament. But I'm not going to talk about that portrait, as fantastic as it is, but a small black and white photograph that we found in our archives. It's the opening of Parliament in 1987. Diane Abbott stands with three other members of Parliament And even though the photograph isn't posed for, it's staged, it looks as if they don't even know the photograph is being taken. Diane Abbott is standing there, putting her makeup on. 
this doesn't mean anything. We all wear makeup, some of us don't wear makeup, it doesn't really matter. But to see that image of a young woman putting her makeup on in Parliament, to be that concerned about how she looks at such a momentous occasion, really shows how different the pressures are on female MPs to those of male MPs. Incidentally, also in the picture is the current Labour Party leader, Jeremy Corbyn, who looks a little bit different than he does today. To complete this triptych is a newspaper heading from 2017, which sits just above the black and white photograph of Diane. Again, some of you will probably remember this headline, as the headline itself made front page news the very next day. In March 2017, Nicola Sturgeon and Theresa May, so Nicola Sturgeon is the leader of the Scottish National Party and Theresa May is, of course, the current Prime Minister of Britain, met to discuss the problems which would surround Brexit. On the front page of the Daily Mail the next day shows an image of Theresa May and Nicola Sturgeon sitting side by side. They're both dressed extremely smartly, formally, how you'd imagine two very high-profile, powerful women to be dressed. And the headline is... Forget about Brexit, who won Lexit? Referring to the fact that both Theresa May and Nicola Sturgeon have their legs on show in the picture. Now, this newspaper article caused national outcry and received hundreds of complaints to Ofcom. The headline was seen as extremely sexist and extremely misogynistic. And whatever your political leanings might be, the fact that the two most powerful women in the UK were reduced to how they looked demonstrates again the different pressures and the lingering sexism that still happens today in the Houses of Parliament. Now, moving away from this triptych of images that show from 1924 right through to 2017 that very little has changed for the pressures on women in Parliament, we move to another set of videos that demonstrate how women are in the House of Commons. Just a side note, there are campaigns such as 50-50 Parliament that are trying to make bold changes for women in the House of Commons and the House of Lords and trying to get that equal representation for women. And again, we come back to this word representation. And as we move to these videos that we're about to watch, you can see why that is so important. It's a massive issue in Parliament today. And it's not something that our vote is actually changing. As with the women who fought for the right to vote, seeing yourself represented in the House of Commons made a huge difference to who's speaking for you. In Represent, sitting next to a photograph of the first ever Labour Women's Conference in 1928, are videos of the maiden speeches of Roshanara Ali and Shabana Mahmood, the first Muslim women to be voted into Parliament. Now, during the process of Represent, we worked with loads of community members and individuals who responded to a lot of the objects and the stories that were on display in the exhibition. One of these young women, Baraka, who's a student here in Manchester, talked to us about how important it was to see these women, women like her, who had grown up like her, represented and speaking for her in the House of Commons. Now, many of us still don't use our vote for many reasons. But there are organisations who are really trying to change this. Bite the Ballot, an organisation trying to engage more young people in politics, carried out a campaign in 2017 to encourage more young people to vote in the general elections. The posters that we can see here on the walls of Represent were designed by artists such as Marcus Walters, and they all bear similar, similar messages encouraging people to go out. They say, use your voice and voice equals vote and fight for representation. 
Now, these posters are actually party neutral, but similar posters were made in 1929 to encourage the new modern young women to vote for the Labour Party. One of my favourites sits actually in the main galleries of the People's History Museum, but you can see a replica of it in Represent Voices 100 Years On. It's a Labour Party poster, and the picture bears Ramsay MacDonald, who's the leader of the Labour Party, speaking to a young woman. Now, she isn't dressed how you'd imagine a typical uh, radical woman to look like. She doesn't look like the feminists who've come uh, 20 years before her. She's got that shingled hair that I was talking about earlier, the very famous bob that became very fashionable in America during the 1920s and moved over to the UK. And she's wearing similar clothes, those drop waist dresses and short short skirts that you know sort of showed a bit of leg that were considered extremely daring at the time. And she's wearing a cloche hat, again, extremely fashionable in the day and really representative of a modern independent woman. And she's saying to Ramsay MacDonald, poor old dears, isn't it pathetic? And in the background of the poster, we can see David Lloyd George and Stanley Baldwin, who were the leaders of the Liberal Party and the Conservative Party. Now, they're both dressed in extremely old-fashioned clothes, like top hats and tails. Um, And Stanley Baldwin is even winking at the young woman slightly lecherously. He looks like a little bit of a creep. But Ramsay MacDonald, the Labour leader, couldn't look more different. He looks very suave. He's wearing a trilby hat. He's the modern person. He's the person who will speak for these young women, not these old fusty men. And it really demonstrates just some of the tactics that were being used by the parties to embrace these new voters, the woman's vote. While the representation of the People Act accelerated women into Parliament and gave more people than ever the right to vote, Today, we still question what we can achieve through voting, whether it's being represented in Parliament or heard by our MPs. And just as the suffrage campaigners learn, sometimes using your voice in protest outside of Parliament gets you heard more than voting in a ballot box. In the next episode, I'll be exploring stories of protest and marching and just how using one's voice doesn't always have to be through using your vote.